All right. Everybody got a Bible? No? I always ask that. Some of you do. Um, we're actually going to spend some time in uh, the book of Matthew this morning. But I wanted to start with, um, I don't know if you know this, I love history. And I was reminded this week of a story I heard um, from the book called Tribe. If you've read the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger, um, he is, it's just a, it's a great book, um, but he tells the story of the early days of our country. And in the early days of America and, and uh, you know, the, the whole group of Europeans coming to uh, North America, um, all along the Atlantic seaboard, there were really two different groups of people, and they were very different. There were the indigenous population, uh, the different tribes of Native Americans along the eastern seaboard, and then there were us, <laughs> British, European, white, um, predominantly, and then we were, in, in many ways, um, at the pinnacle or the apex of civil, civilization, technologically. And then you had the indigenous people who were still living in many ways as their ancestors had lived thousands of years even before. And what we found as we've done research, and, and Sebastian Younger brought this up, he said that um, colonists began to defect out of their little colonies into these indigenous people groups. They found the, um, the lure to that uh, group of people and their community and their way of life so appealing that they would defect out of their colony into, their, uh, into these Native American tribes. Now, the interesting thing is uh, archaeologists and sociologists, they, they can't find any um, of the other they can't find any of the uh, Native Americans wanting to be like the colonists. And what's interesting is uh, the traffic only went one way. And there's this great quote from Benjamin Franklin. He says, Though ransomed by their friends and treated with all imaginable tenderness to, pre to prevail with them to stay among the English, yet within a short time, they become disgusted with our manner of life and take the first opportunity of escaping again into the woods. The people would be rescued. They think they were stolen by the Native Americans, but they, were cho they chose to go there. And when rescued back into the colony, they found the first opportunity to get, get away again. And I think this is really interesting. Younger actually makes the point in his book that Early on in American history, there were seeds of radical individualism that were already beginning to uh, be birthed into us as Americans. And, and he actually said that that began to poison the soul of us Americans. Uh, de Tocqueville, who was a French philosopher, and he came and toured America um, a little bit later on. Uh, 1830s, really. And, and he wrote a lot about our experience as Americans. And he wrote this. Extreme individualism as the defining American trait, if left unchecked, would be the downfall of humanity. 
<laughs> so a little bit, a little bit. Let's just fast forward a little bit further. Uh, World War II. Um, war is awful, but what war did during World War II is it brought many different groups of people together. There's actually studies of the people in London. Uh, during the bombings, the, the, the Nazi bombings of London. And psycholo- psychologists and sociologists have actually talked about how during that time, when you interview people that went through those bombings, they say, we never felt closer to each other. That the community of people together in, huddled in these shelters, um, that after the whole blitz was over, people were actually sad. They weren't wishing they were bombed. They just found joy in community together. And since then, um, you know, World War II, um, the the depression rates went down during that time. Um, People were actually uh, closer together. And then then there's this great book that recently came out called Bowling Alone. Actually, it wasn't recent. Um, But um, the actual people feel like less connected than ever before, um, whereas there used to be, and he tells the story about bowling leagues, and you would never miss bowling night, right? You would, you would never do that. And, and the writer of Bowling Alone actually says that any and all forms of community that require commitment are actually now in decline in a huge, rapid way. And, and since the 60s, the seeds of individualism have just kind of come to full flower. Uh, two years ago, Theresa May actually appointed a loneliness minister in the UK. Millions of people identify as lonely. And, and for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. In the US, uh, rates of loneliness have doubled. It used to be in 1984, they took a poll of people who uh, admitted that they, or they, 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 um, they stated that they had at least three confidants. Most people stated that they at least had three people that they could go to and, in a sense, bear their soul to. Uh, a recent poll taken said 25% of people have nobody that they feel like they can reach out to. Gallup poll has rated Americans as the loneliest people in the world. And it's tragically a health problem. They say that certain bouts and certain uh, um, pathologies of loneliness are actually equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That that's how lonely it is. Now, the big hairy problem, there's a guy named David Brooks, and he wrote a book called uh, tri- he calls this tribalism, and he calls tribalism the dark twin of hum- uh, of community, and 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 he says there's actually a really really uh, uh, sinister thing happening in all of our loneliness right now. That it actually is creating tribalism, and I don't know if you've noticed it at all. I don't know if you've noticed how tribal our country and our communities have gotten. Um, by the way, David Brooks uh, recently came to follow Jesus, and he's just got some amazing things he's writing right now. He said he compares community and tribalism. He says this, 
Community is based on mutual love. Tribalism is based on mutual hate. So we gather together to the things that we hate, right? Um, He says community is about what we are for. Tribalism is about what we are against. Community is about generosity and honor and celebration, about how different we are. Tribalism is a zero-sum battle for resources, kill or be killed. If God sets the solitary in families, individualism sets the lonely in tribes. And so, good morning. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to church. Welcome to community. Here's the thing. This is not community. You're gathered in a group. But this isn't community. This isn't community that scripture talks about. This is a gathering of communities, hopefully. We've been in a series called Mile Markers, and you're probably asking, what does any of that have to do with what we've been talking about? It actually has everything to do with it. Last four weeks, we've been looking at different ways that you could reflect on your life in following Jesus. What are the stages of life, what are the seasons of life that you and I are in? And we've just basically taken weeks to look at different ways to look at your life. And the whole goal, all we've been saying is we've been asking the same question over and over and over. What is the invitation for me right now in my stage and season of life? What is what is the invitation of Jesus for me in this moment in my life? And the question I want to ask us now is, what is the non-negotiable, what is non-negotiable in following Jesus in my stage right now? And the answer is each other. The answer is community. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to just take a little walk through Jesus and his disciples because it wasn't all puppies and rainbows. Matthew chapter 4, we'll start in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In some versions it says, be fishers of men. And that's not a joke. That's not a Jesus pun. It's actually something deeper. We've talked about that before. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Those are amazing stories. And and we're not going to get into them, but to leave your father and your, your business and your way of life It's a big leave. So very early on in the story, we pick up that Jesus, to follow Jesus, is actually to live in community. That there's there's no follow Jesus alone. To follow Jesus is to live in community. Jesus did not call a disciple. Jesus called disciples to follow him at the same time together. That's what he did. 
Further on, Matthew 8, it says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That, that phrase, let me bury my father, is actually a figure of speech. Basically, what he was saying was, let me wait for my father to die. Um, it, because if I leave now, and I'm not a part of all that, I will miss out on inheritance. And so Jesus says, let the dead bury their own, own dead. And so this, basically what's interesting, there's no names to these people um, the invitation, uh, the, the reason why this is in here, the reason why this is, is written this way is, is we get to see that some people in the earlier story actually were ready to give up everything in their life and some people in the other story are not. Some people were ready to, some people weren't. And the question for us is where are we on the invitation? Matthew chapter 9 As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Because as it turns out, tax collectors are friends with other tax collectors. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not, the, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that comes from the book of Hosea. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So people from across the spectrum. We've got good young Jewish men. We've got tax collectors and sinners. And here's what's interesting. Jesus was not interested in people's maturity. He was interested in their level of commitment. So much different maturity to see here. Matthew chapter 10. A couple more things here. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now pay attention to this ragtag group of people that he gathered together. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, remember he left his dad, and his, mother jo- and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. James, son of Alphys. And Thaddeus. Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is a very odd mishmash group of people, okay? We're going to concentrate really quickly on the two that have monikers. We have zealots, and we have a tax collector. A zealot was a right-wing Jewish insurgent group. This was a group of people that believed in violence, They would conduct violent terrorism on behalf of Jewish independence from Rome. 
zealot is not someone who's just really gung-ho. A zealot was someone who wanted to shed blood of the Roman occupiers. They believed that the land was something they fought for, even if it meant going to prison or dying because of it. The same group of people that Jesus called, he called zealots, he also called a tax collector. What's a tax collector? It's a Jewish man who worked for Rome. And these guys are waking up every morning together and having a little riverfront coffee, a little pour over by the river. (laughs) And it had to be just a little bit tense at times. Can you imagine sitting around having coffee? The zealots are like, what's up, sellout? And if you think that things are divisive in our country now, whether it be economically, politically, racially, I, can, I can't stress enough how much bigger this was. And you're probably saying, Ryan, you're crazy. It's, it's worse now than it's ever been. You just don't know your history. And one of the things that's interesting, if, if you could sit there and go, hey, what if we took this person on the political spectrum and this one, and they both followed, what would that look like? Well, Jesus did that. Many more polarities were actually involved in the 12 here. And as you would expect, they kind of get into it. Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked him for a favor. So the sons of Zebedee, they leave their father in the boat to follow Jesus. Mom shows up. What is it that you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Jesus is referring to the fact that he is about to sacrifice. He's about to lay down his life. Can, you, can your boys drink the same sacrificial cup of love that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed, indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or our left is not for you to, for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. This is the best part. When the ten heard about this, a lot of times we just gloss over this a bit. So apparently, this little scheme, okay, between the two boys and mommy with Jesus off to the side, when the other 10 heard about it. Can you imagine? They were indignant with the two brothers. 
Jesus called them together and said, you know what the rulers of the Gentiles, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's basically saying, you, you know, outside of our little community here, it's all about power. And it's all about power dynamics. And it's all about that world. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must, what, stand up for your rights and yell louder? No. Be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Meaning, here's what Jesus is saying. To live in this new community is to live under a new rulership. And it's the rule of God. It's to live with a whole different set of relational dynamics than the world around us. That within this community, we don't operate on power and status and prestige. And we don't operate that way. We operate totally different. Jesus' community is where these apprentices, they train to become like him. What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? A self-sacrificial servant who is pervaded by love to the deepest level. So what I want to do is take a step back for a second. These are a whole different group of people that Jesus has called to follow him. And in, in every single way, the only thing they have in common is Jesus himself. A few, a, few, uh, a few little observations. The first one is this. Jesus lived in community. Jesus wasn't like some sage on a mountaintop that people would have to go out to see and to get wisdom from. Jesus actually lived in community. And to follow him was to, at the same time, join his community. So you couldn't follow Jesus without living in community. And apparently, we can't follow Jesus as individuals. We can't. Second thing I think is really important to understand is that lots of people turned down his invitation. Lots of people. For those who said yes, here's what they experienced. They were at different stages of maturity, okay? They were across the socio-political spectrum, and regularly, regularly they got into conflict. Third thing I think is really important. The end goal in this community was to train people, to grow people into the into Jesus, be, become like Jesus, to, to be people of love. So the, here's the thing, though. The, when we hear the word community, we hear that word, and it goes through our filters, okay? It, we mistake connectivity for community. We mistake coffee and donuts for community. We mistake just being connected to people as community. So um, really, the reality is we're more connected than we've ever been. In a touch of a button, we can like someone's Instagram that 
of a person we met two years ago that we'll probably never see again. And yet we don't have face-to-face conversations with others. We're more connected than we've ever been and lonelier than we've ever been. The studies have shown the more you use digital technology, the more lonely you are likely to be. The face-to-face thing is off the table. So we make the mistake that we're in community with people when we're just connected digitally. The second mistake we make is chemistry. It's like if there's not chemistry, then there's not community. Like if we don't hit it off with these people or we don't have all these things in common. You know, what's interesting is usually what happens is, um, <laughs> I have a buddy of mine, Jeff, and we, we would end up showing up at conferences together. Um, he was from a different part of the country. But we had literally the same likes the same, you know, the, we, we had so much in common. We have a lot of chemistry. And it's kind of creepy. And Jeff and I are connected. And we have chemistry, but Jeff and I don't live in community. In our community on Thursday nights, there are a number of people in our community on Thursday nights that I literally don't have a lot in common with. But we're in community. And so sometimes we make the mistake that there has to be like a chemistry. There has to be like all these things we have in common to be in community with each other. And that's, a, that's like a huge mistake. And if, in community, if community in the way of Jesus is not connectivity or chemistry, then what is it? What is it? Well, the Greek word for this is koinonia. Um, it's where we get community, fellowship, sharing, having things in common. Webster's Dictionary puts it as people with a common interest living in a particular area, which pretty much takes out all the online stuff, right? So people you live near and have a common interest together with. Something you have something in common with. So um, CrossFitters. CrossFit is a community in a cult, but a community of people um, that gather together and have this in common. Um, your local school is a community. You are wanting the best for your children. You have that in common. You rally around together as parents to make that experience the best possible. Dog parks. It's a community. It's like a temple of worship to our four-legged friends, right? People that you live by and have something in common with. In the way of Jesus, here's the thing. You're going to find that the only thing you have in common is Jesus. Not your political persuasion not your tax bracket, not your educational background, not your ethnicity or your taste in music. There are some times and many times that the only common denominator you are going to have is Jesus. It's a simple idea, but people you live by 
and follow Jesus with is your community. It's right at the center of what, community is right at the center of what Jesus is trying to do and what Jesus is about in the world. Scott McKnight says the kingdom of God and community of, and the community of Jesus are basically the same thing. And we are so afraid of it. The two most important practices of Jesus are were silence and solitude and community. If you read the four Gospels, you will see that these two practices actually hold all the other practices that we've ever talked about. And as a general rule, if you look at Jesus, he was either alone and quiet or he was together in community. And there was a rhythm to his life of back and forth, alone in the quiet on the mountaintop early in the morning, into community. Alone again, into community. Now for us, we're scared to go all the way into silence and solitude. Many of us are. And don't give me the, I have my silence and solitude at the coffee shop. That's, that's no. When, when we are alone and quiet by ourselves, we begin to hear the things sometimes that we don't want to hear. It's uncomfortable. We're checking our phone. We're checking our email. We're thinking through our to-do list. We're doing all the things. Alone in, commu- in, in quiet and in solitude and all the way over here into genuine community. And we're going to talk about that. Because we are vulnerable in both places. It's like a pendulum. Sometimes pendulum swings are not good. In this instance, I'm going to use it as a good illustration. To go further into solitude and silence takes vulnerability. It's difficult it requires more of us. We, we face a little bit more of ourselves right here. And then to thrust ourselves further and further into community, not just getting together for a bite, but being emotionally vulnerable with people, to laying bare our who we are and our real selves and over and over again with people, to show up and have to clean up a mess that we made with somebody relationally, Community further, you know, by ourselves, further into community. And these are the practices of Jesus. And instead, we settle for something called pseudo-community. And pseudo-community is we hold back something of ourselves. So, I think there's three reasons why we hold back from community. The first one is individualism. And we've talked about this. It's the air we breathe. It's the inertia of our world that we're in. Commitment is really difficult. And I say, hey, what would it look like for you to commit to a group of people weekly? Like no matter what. It's very difficult. 
You mean I have to commit every week? There's that idea of something better might come up, right? And it's, it's ultimately an issue, I think, when it comes down to it, of authority in our lives. We don't like the word authority. But there's something about the New Testament and the people of, of God saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And our charter as following Jesus is to live in community. Like that is what Jesus has called us to as we follow, is to follow together. And so the New Testament charter of life, that is our charter, and it's countercultural to our city. It's countercultural to how we live, to give up our autonomy in love, to further ourselves into community with others. And here's the thing, it goes against everything that we feel. There are Thursday nights as we gather as a community, and I know some of our communities here. There are Thursday nights that I don't want you to come over. And you come over anyway. And it looks like I want you there. But every single time you leave, I'm glad you were. Every single time you leave, I am thankful. I'm even more exhausted, but I'm thankful. Because we've been together. Because we've broken bread together. Because we've prayed together. Because we've shared together. Because we've poured out ourselves to each other. The second thing I think holds us back is idealism. See, we tend to have this wildly unrealistic expectation of what community should be. And usually what happens is, is we have these expectations that everybody's going to meet my needs. And we do this in our marriages, and we do this in our friendship. Some of you who aren't married yet think there, there's a soulmate and, and like a unicorn soulmate out there for you. And we make this mistake in community. I reread um, part of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book called Life Together. Dietrich wrote this during a season where he was gathering a group of people together to learn about Jesus and the way of Jesus in a very underground community in Nazi Germany as a pushback towards the Lutheran church that had sided with the Nazi regime. And he wrote this. The sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. He's basically saying the sooner your expectations get shattered on what community is, the better. It's better for you, it's better for everybody. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish, dream, 
sorry, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. This is why many times it's very difficult to, to church shop. We show up into a church. We have expectations of what it would be. And if we don't, don't get the feels, you know, if we don't, if it, uh, I don't know if it meets my needs perfectly. I've got a list and I need at least nine out of ten checked off. We actually do a lot of damage. And why some people actually have really dear friends of mine that go from church to church to church to church. It's kind of like a resume, right? If you are an employer and you look at someone's resume and they've worked a whole bunch of different jobs in 10 years. Maybe they have like 15 different jobs in 10 years. It's tough to hire them, isn't it? It's really hard when you have a list of churches in your resume. It's hard to get to know people. There's damage done to our community by our own idealism. My own optimism, my own idealism actually hurts you as a church. The third thing I think is this. I think we're intimidated. Individualism, idealism, and intimidation. I think we're intimidated. Let's be honest, we're scared of this. <laughs> we're scared of going further and further into community. We're scared of it. And, and, and we're not talking introvert, extrovert stuff. Some of the most lonely people I know are extroverts. We're scared that we could get burned. We're scared of in, in silence and solitude of really becoming more and more clear on who we are. And we're scared in community that people are going to figure us out. We're scared. We're intimidated. Individualism has this way, right, of like keeping ourselves safe. But actually, it keeps us, it keeps us locked up. What are the invitations of Jesus to you in your life right now, in your season, in your stage of discipleship, in your stage of apprenticeship? What are, what are the invitations of Jesus to you? Well, I'll tell you what it always is. It always is together. It always is with other people. It always is with with people in your area, in your neighborhood, in your city that are also following Jesus. It's always to that. The invitation to follow Jesus is never by yourself. It's always with others. And there's always an invitation to that. And so I just want you to know, as a community, we're trying to figure this out. And it's been the hardest thing, literally, the hardest thing as a church plant 
now almost eight years old, the hardest thing we've done is tried to get you in community with others. Literally the hardest thing. And you know why? Because it's the hardest thing that I've had to do. And I realize that I'm not alone. I'm intimidated by it. I've got some idealism in there. And so what we've found is that the best communities are multi-generational, meaning multi-stage of life, multi-season of life, multi-maturity levels. Whether you're single, whether you're young married, whether you've been married for 50 years, whether you've experienced divorce, wherever you are in your life, it's good to be in relationship with people in different stages. And so what we tried at first was, hey, let's get a whole bunch of young married couples together. Well, that was fun and a lot in common. But man, where the real, real, real good meet is, is people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds figuring out how to do life together. Now, our other dream And if you've been around here for a while, about a year ago, we talked about the table in communion. And we talked about how ideally this isn't the best place to do this. That the best place to do communion is around a table, a small group of people together weekly. And that we want to move towards that instead of individually walking up here in a line by ourselves, in our heads. We want to be a community of people around tables. And so I want to encourage you a couple things before we take communion in a way that I feel like is not ideal. (laughs) We want to start more communities in this church. And if you're feeling like, hey, I'd like to do that, but I'm super scared, join the club. It's like, a, it's like um, an AA group, and I talked about this last week, some of the most powerful communities in our country, in our world, are people in recovery. Because there's a level of honesty, and you can sit around a circle with people who are different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnicities, different way of life, all coming to a community that says, you're loved, you're welcomed here, we're behind you, we're going to do this together. And the church isn't like that, in my experience. So what would it look like if we all just admitted, we're kind of terrified of this, we all just admitted, yeah, I don't have time, Yeah, I have some baggage. I have some expectations. What if we all just admitted that? And we came together anyway. There are groups forming right now. And there are groups that are formed right now. And we're going to figure out a way to connect you with them. If you would like to take a dive, an eight-week dive into community... 
Dip your toe in. Jump in with both feet. We just want to hear from you. Well, not right now. I mean, you can. You can blurt something out. But we really want to hear from you. You can do it on your connection card. You can do it on our website, the Connect app, the Grow app, actually, the Grow, right? Grow? Yeah. I don't even know. We want, we want to hear from you. We want to help you do that. And so let me pray as that stirs around in your mind and heart.